For those of you who come all the time, we were taking a break. Uh, if you're visiting, we've been going through the Gospels in chronological order for over almost a year and a half. So today we're going to take just a little break and we're going to just focus on, on the resurrection. Of course, it's Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so we're going to look, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, in Luke chapter 24, it's where we're going to be. Hoping to, well, this is, of course, a, a serious uh, a day for us, especially as Christians. I, I, if you don't know me or we've never met before, I don't take much of anything real serious. Uh, so today I'm hoping to add a little bit of humor into, into the story because these were real people in a real place at a real time, right? So we sometimes can make the Bible something so, so serious and somber that we take the life from it. And it shouldn't be that way. And so these are real people. And in today's story of the resurrection, there's a lot of confusion amongst those people who had been following Jesus, some for three, three and a half years, about the resurrection. We read the story and we go, yeah, this is what happened. But for them, in the moment, there's some confusion. And you're going to see that today in the story. And I think it makes the people in that story even more human. They, they, they didn't understand exactly what was going on. So the crucifixion, of course, has happened. Jesus has been put into his tomb, and on the first day, which is for us, what is the first day of the week? Sunday. The reason that we, we meet on Sundays is because of the resurrection. So on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday, this is what happens. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes, clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. So the women have come to continue and to finish the, the, the preparation of Jesus' body for burial. So in the ancient world, if you were fortunate enough and wealthy enough, you would be buried in a tomb. If not, you would just be, the hole would be dug and you'd be put in that hole. But tombs, and this is just an artist's rendition on this side, Tombs could look differently, but because of the way the story of Jesus goes, we believe that Jesus is in a tomb similar to this because he's going to be laid out. So the body would be prepared with spices already, then linen would be wrapped around the body, and the body would lay there for about a year until nothing was left but bones. And then the bones would be placed in what we call what was called an ossuary. So this is a, a pretty plain one. As you can see down here, this is a very fancy one with all kinds of designs on it. And then those ossuaries would be put inside the, the tomb, and then the entire family would be buried together. Um, so that they could keep more bodies in the tomb, because the ossuaries, once the body had decayed and the bones were collected, they put in an ossuary, the person's name was on it, and they were shoved inside the tomb. And so what the, the women are doing in our story is they're going to the tomb to continue to, to put more spices on the body of Jesus. And the reason you put spices on the body is a very practical reason. It's to keep the smell to keep the smell from being as terrible as it will, will be. Remember, their climate is very similar to our climate. See, the nation of Israel, uh, where Israel is today, where Jerusalem is, their climate's very similar to ours, a very arid, dry climate. And so the spices just helped the odor. That's all it was for. And it was a, it was a way in which, for these women who had followed Jesus, uh, spices were very expensive. It was a way in which they showed their appreciation for Jesus and all that he had done. So they are there to do a very practical thing to put more spices on the body of Jesus, to keep him from the, the, the odor from getting worse than it needed to be. And then someone would go back into that tomb a year later and collect the bones and put them 
in an ossuary, which tells us that the fact that they're returning to put these spices on him, that did they anticipate the resurrection of Jesus? And the answer, of course, is what? No. No, they're just doing what you do. This is, what, this is how you prepare a body that has died. And so they're, they're fully anticipating showing up early Sunday morning, having to roll the stone away themselves, which the stones were large enough that generally it took several men to roll away. So these women were going to do this by themselves. They're going to roll this, this stone away from the tomb and finish the job of putting the spices on the body of Jesus. That's why they're there. But when they get there, something's wrong. The stone's already been moved, so someone beat them there. And then they meet these men who aren't men, who are angels. And the story continues here. In their fright, the women bowed down with their face to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Women are, are overwhelmed at the sight of these angels. And so their first response is, is to hit the ground. The angels tell them, hey, why are you here? We know why they're here. Why are they there? We need to finish preparing the body of Jesus for, for the internment for this year. And so we're here to put spices on his body, and the angel's response would be, you, you don't need to. There's no dead body to, to season, if you will. He's gone. And I love the, f- the phrase that those angels use, is why are you looking for the living among the dead? And because my mind works a little differently than probably most people's, the way I thought about this, how do, you, how do you flesh that out in our details was, you don't go to the cemetery to look for a babysitter for your kids, do you? They're not going to do a very good job. We don't drop our kids off at the cemetery, close the gates and say, we'll, back, we'll be back in eight hours. There's plenty of people here to watch you. We'll see you then, right? You wouldn't do that because it's pretty hard to watch a child if you're dead. It's, a little, it's, it's an un, un, unfair expectation, by the way, for the dead people that you expect them to watch your kid. What's the point he's trying to make? Why are you here? This is a tomb. You're only going to find dead things here. And Jesus, he isn't here. He's not dead. He's alive. And then they they try to remind them of something Jesus said. And the angel's response is, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Now, I don't know about you, but my, I, have, I have a weird memory. I can remember things that I probably that don't matter, and then things that do matter, like someone's name. It just goes right out of my head pretty quickly. Um, and so if I ever see you in the grocery store and I have to ask your name again, I apologize for that. But that's, that's just how my brain works. I could meet somebody, and 30 seconds later, you could say, what's that person's name? And I would say, I have no idea. I don't know. If I don't write it down, it's pretty much gone. If I go to Ridley's for five things without a list, two of them are going to be forgotten. Now, I'll find seven things I didn't need, right? But if, if Stacy sends me to this grocery store for five things, I literally tell her, text me that, please. 
I won't remember it, I promise. I, I know myself well enough. So I would, I'm not pretending to have been a disciple who would have remembered Jesus' words. I would have forgotten them as well. But the angel says, guys, remember, he told you this was going to happen. This shouldn't, this shouldn't have been a surprise. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Now remember, this is a group of women who had come to the tomb to put spices on Jesus' body. His male disciples, we know them as the apostles, are in a locked room hiding right now. Okay? Just keep that in mind. The angel says, say to them, do you remember, right? Remember he told you, the Son of Man, verse 7, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And because they're women, of course they remembered, right? It's okay that it's, you just don't forget things. What's their response in verse 8? They remembered. Uh Uh-huh. Yepers. Now remember this response, because later on, we're going to get to the men's response, and they're going to be like, huh? I was supposed to remember that? Just keep this in your mind. Okay, remember verse 8. When, when reminded, the women went, yes, I remember. You're going to see how the men respond later on. But I'm going to show you all the times in which Jesus told them this, and there's quite a few of them. So I'm going to read them pretty quickly. But here's all the times throughout the Gospels, in, in all the different Gospels, where Jesus had told them this was going to happen. So this shouldn't have been a surprise, even though it takes them by surprise. Luke 9, 21 through 22, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. Luke 18, 31 through 34, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, remember the twelve, those are his male disciples, the apostles, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Disciples did not understand any of this because there were no women present, and so no one was there to explain it to them. And its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was talking about. Matthew 16, 21, from that, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. When they came together, Matthew 17, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. This sounds familiar, right? Matthew 20, 18 through 19, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. We aren't done. Mark 8, 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again, who still aren't done. Mark 9, 31 through 32, because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. They did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. And we're done. My dad used to tell us, boys, when we did things over and over again that we weren't supposed to do, he said this. He said, boys, if I've told you once, I've told you 
thousand times. And then the lecture began. I don't know how many times Jesus needed to tell them for them to cement it in their head, but I just showed you the times in which he told He told them more than once what? He was going to be killed by crucifixion and three days later come back to life. And then it happens, they're like, what? I didn't see that coming. It's because you weren't listening. Luke 24, 9 through 12, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. Those are our apostles, our male disciples who were hiding, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Joanna, excuse me, Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Let's just get this story straight, right? So the women are at the tomb. They show up at the tomb. The stone's been rolled away. They don't even have to go into the tomb, but the angels tell them, he's not here, he's risen. Remember, he told you that, and their response is, I remember that. The women go to the, to the apostles who are hiding and say, he's not dead, he's risen, and their response is, you guys are talking nonsense. Now, we know that the 11 are there every single time Jesus is telling them that he's going to be killed crucified, buried, three days later come back to life. And then they're told that, just like the women are told that, and their response is what? Y'all be crazy. What are you talking about? It's a great lesson for us as men and women, and if you're married here, try not to look at your spouse during the next couple minutes. Men and women are different. We just are. We're different. We think differently, we act differently, we're motivated differently. I made the joke earlier that women never forget. They don't. It's not a joke. It's real. If you don't believe me, and you just want to run a little experiment, maybe not today because it's supposed to be kind of a special day, but tomorrow, bring up something stupid you did five years ago and ask ask her if she remembers it still. And the answer is, I'm going to tell you right now, don't do it, is yes. She remembers the stupid thing you said five years ago. They just remember. I'd love to have that superpower. I don't possess it. The women are told, remember? Jesus told you this was going to happen, and their response is, we remember. The men are told, the 11, and their response is, you guys are talking nonsense. Peter runs. We know from the, the other gospel accounts that John goes with them. They run in there, and Peter looks in there, sees that Jesus isn't there for himself, and goes, huh, I wonder what happened. Dude, he told you what was going to happen multiple times, and you just weren't listening. It's the reason that when marriage is good, it's so good, is because we need each other. We need her, and she needs him. There's moments that this partnership is so good because together we're far stronger and better than we are by ourselves. Jesus had... Male disciples, male followers. Jesus had women followers and disciples. And they needed each other, it turns out. And at the most important moment in human history, the women rose up, the men were hiding, they were hiding, 
And women show up because they're just faithful, because that's what women do. That's what moms do. That's what wives do. They just show up. They just do, and they always have. And if it wasn't for them, we'd be a mess. We'd be a mess. Because when everyone else has given up, everyone else has written that person off, who refuses to? Mom. Mom just never gives up on us, does she? Even when we've given her plenty of opportunities and reasons to, she just quits, never quits, does she? This sets into motion all of church history. And if we're honest with ourselves, which we should be, we should be honest with ourselves, we'll realize that the church has been built on the backs of women for 2,000 years. If you don't believe me, show up to something sometime. Tell me who's there. Tell me who's there. Now, it's not an excuse for us as men to not lead. It's not an excuse. We've used it as an excuse, but it's not an excuse. But the church is... The church has made it this far because women have just always been faithful. Just always have. And they get it quicker than the rest of us. It takes us, you know, men develop slower than women. You probably know that already, right? Girls go through puberty before boys do. I always joke with my youth girls when I was a youth pastor. I said, you know, you really don't need to date until a guy's about 25, that's when the frontal cortex of his brain has finally fully developed, and he might be able to put full sentences together and not just love the smell of gasoline and testosterone just running through his veins, right? Um, and I was one of those people, okay? I had to wreck my dirt bike enough times before I finally went, oh, maybe this isn't a great idea. It just takes us a little bit longer. For the male disciples, it's taking them a little too long for them to figure out what's going on. But you know what the important thing is? that Peter and the others figured it out. They were a little slower. That's okay. Every one of us is different. Everyone has our own path to walk. Some of us, it takes a little longer. I can be one of those people. I can be a little stubborn sometimes. It takes us a little bit. The important point that we, that we reach in the Gospels is that men, women, everyone who followed Jesus, who goes through death, burial, and resurrection, makes the realization that he is, in fact, Lord. And once you've made that realization in your life, everything else is just a cherry on top. Now, I grew up in church my entire life. But that doesn't matter. You can grow up in church your entire life and be far from Jesus. So one of the goals we have here at our church is to not make religious people, because religious people are insufferable and terrible to be around. They just are. I'd love to be nice to them, but they just don't deserve it. They're just not fun to be around. You know religious people? Don't say their names out loud, please, because that's embarrassing for them. We live in a small community. Easy, right? You know religious people? Are they fun to be around? The answer is no. Why? It's the criticism that the church has received for a long time, and rightfully so. They're just judgmental. They just are, aren't they? It's just always looking down their nose at other people. And I'm, I just don't find that story in the Gospels where Jesus says, oh, and by the way, 
because you've invited me into your life, you're so much better than everybody else on planet Earth now. All your problems are fixed. You're pretty much perfect. Please be extre- extremely judgmental to those people who haven't made that decision yet. That verse never shows up. It's never, you can, you can, I've read the whole thing cover to cover. It's not there. What Jesus showed us through his life was that there was nobody out of bounds. He was not afraid to go to people who no one else wanted to go to and bring love and life into their lives. Now, he upset religious people all the time. And the realization I've made over the last couple of years is that if you are doing this Christianity thing right, religious people will not like you. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. If we're following Jesus with everything we have, our religious friends will be uncomfortable. And that's a good thing. Jesus was not deeply religious. He just wasn't. He was good. He's the king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords who was humble enough to come to this earth which is humble enough to leave heaven to come here. I've never been there, but I bet you it's better than here. I'm just betting on it. To take on flesh and blood for us for the sole purpose of being crucified. And that's a terrible way of dying. I don't want to depress you on Easter, but crucifixion is you suffocate in your own bodily fluids is how you die of crucifixion. It gets to the point where your legs become so weak that you can't hold your, di- hold your, your, your upper body up enough for your diaphragm to, to breathe, and you start to suffocate. It's a terrible way of dying. He did that not to, not to start some religious movement. That's not what he was doing it for. He didn't do it to make you and I good because we're not. He did it to cover our sins. To pay for them once and for all. He did it for us. So you could live your life without carrying the burden of all the stupid things you've done and said with you. So you could have real and true freedom. Freedom that's found only in him. He came back to life to tell us that he was the real deal and to give us hope. And we live in a world that's in desperate need of some hope. It always has been, by the way, and it always will be. When your grandma, grandpa, tells you that the world's just gone to hell in a handbasket, tell them to read their Bible. Since the fall, people have been a little messy. We've made a mess of things. It doesn't matter when, where. The sin might look a little different. It's all the same. We live in a world that's broken and hurts often. There's a fix to the broken. And his name is Jesus. If you haven't invited him into your life yet, trust me, don't wait. Now, it's going to change everything. And I'm not, it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to lie to you because that's not true. Following Jesus isn't always easy. It's worth it, though. And the most important things in my life, the things I've taken the most meaning from in my life, have been difficult. They've been hard. We don't find out what we're made of when everything's going well. We find out what we're made of when everything hits the fan. What you'll find out is if you say yes to Jesus, you'll never have to face any of those situations alone ever again. So when he left his disciples after the resurrection, spent some time with them, 
He asked them to be, to be faithful, to go out into the world, and to share this message of hope with the entire world. And then he made them a promise, and the promise goes like this. He promised them, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And when you're faithful, he's there. He's got your back, no matter what. And there's a lot of us in this room who are the only reason we're here today because as we went through those moments, we knew Jesus was with us. And he pulled us, dragged us through, sometimes kicking and screaming, personal experience. But he pulled us through like only he can. We fail each other all the time. I will fail you from time to time. I will. He hasn't failed me yet. He's never going to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this this section of scripture today. Father, that we honestly found a little humor in it as we, we realize that those of us who are men maybe don't always listen. It takes us a little longer sometimes to, to get it through our heads. But we're thankful for your followers, male and female, who were there in that moment. The women show up to the, to the tomb early in the morning just to be faithful, to do what they do. To show up, they believe, to show up, God, to take care of the body of Jesus one more time before he's interned and, and, and it goes undisturbed for an entire year. But what they found changed the world. They show up to roll the, the stone away, to spread spices over the body of Jesus. It's too late. And the spices are not needed. Because he's alive. God, we know your son is alive to this day. He's with us every time we gather. And Father, we're thankful for your presence in our lives. And we ask that you would help us to respond to you in faithfulness. To live every day as though the tomb is empty, because it is. Help us to not become people who are religious, who just go through motions and do things because we're supposed to, and it makes us feel good for one more week. Help us be people who are faithful, who do what you've called us to do, God live a life that honors you to the very best of our abilities, knowing that we are not perfect and that we're never going to be. That we just have to show up. Just like those women did. And you'll take care of the rest. God, we're thankful for your faithfulness. That you loved us enough to send your son to die on our behalf and to come back to life to give us a hope and a future with you. So Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray all this in the powerful and holy name of your son Jesus and all God's people said.